Please open in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 34 to 46. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative Word. Hear the Word of God to you this morning. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the story of Jesus and His love. If we want to know what the main theme of the book of Matthew is, we know that it is Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Messiah. He is the one to whom we must, in whom we must trust fully, submit our lives to, um, Receive Him as Lord and have Him come to Him so that He would completely transform our lives and that He might rule over us. The point of the Gospel is to present Jesus. Behold your King that we might turn from our sins and receive Him and find the new life that only He can bring. Amen? That's the theme. Jesus is King. Come, trust Him, follow Him. But at the same time, there is a concurrent theme That means a theme that's equal to it, that kind of runs alongside of it. And that theme is this. It is the theme that we find in Matthew 28, for instance. We're going to get to that later and look at it in detail. When Jesus gives his church the great um, commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what does he say there? Teaching them to obey what? All that I've commanded you. So in other words... First step, as we read the Gospel of Matthew, is make sure you have received this King. That's the first step. But then some of us, by the grace of God, I hope and trust most, if not all of you, hopefully you have taken that first step and Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Most likely, most of you wouldn't be here if that weren't the case. So why do we then read it as those who already know Jesus, who are ready to receive the King? Because in this Gospel, we have tons of teaching from Jesus For his people that he told us to do what? Obey 
all that he's commanded us. So there's those two levels, right? There's that level of receiving him, and then there's a level of actually doing what he calls us to do, which is putting into practice his teaching. You with me? And I say that because as we look at this text, on one level, we see how Jesus' enemies, we see the story of Jesus and his love. We see how King Jesus was treated by his enemies. And remember we talked about this last week for those of us who were here. All his enemies who hated each other and fought each other constantly, the Hatfields and the McCoys, all of a sudden they went, whoa, whoa, cease fire. Let's stop fighting for a minute and let's kill him. <laughs> and that teaches us something. It teaches us that if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, be prepared for the world to hate you. Be prepared for every angle. Liberals, conservatives, middle of the roaders, they're all going to hate you. Because why? Because you belong to the true King of glory. The one who is truly righteous. The real deal. The one who doesn't just talk about it, but he is about it. The one who says, I love you. And when we say, oh yeah, how much? He spreads his arm and shows you. Genuine righteousness. And so we see that it's the beautiful story of Jesus and his love. We see him defeat his enemies. We all laughed at the end, but it says no one dared ask him anymore because man, Jesus is awesome. But on the other level, we can be thankful that Jesus addressed these sticky questions because his answers greatly instruct his humble followers on how to respond, how to react, how to live in light of the questions that were asked. So for instance, how do we um, interact with government? Jesus actually answers that question, right? When they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And so we learn from Jesus what our relationship to, proper relationship to government is. And so when they come and ask him about the afterlife, Jesus teaches us some awesome teaching about the resurrection of the dead, right? And now this morning, the reason why I bring this up, now we get the opportunity to hear from Jesus what the greatest commandments of all are. Now he tells us the commandment and the one that's like it that the whole enchilada hangs on. I don't know about you, but my ears all of a sudden go, Whoop. I want to know, what is it that the whole Old Testament law and prophets hangs on? That's what we're going to see this morning. The Pharisees counted some 613 laws in the Pentateuch. That's a lot of laws. And to try to count them, you forget about keep them. Counting them was no easy task. Matter of fact, when, when the teachers of the law come, when the Pharisees come and ask Jesus, what they basically say is, what is the weightiest of all commandments? Right, Because Jesus later talks about the weightier matters of the law and the lighter matters. And what they want to know, what is the weightiest? Um, and in Jesus' day, they debated constantly over that question. There's always a big debate, so they thought, we're going to get him on this one. He's going to get somebody mad. And so they have an expert of the law, which we have to notice here, he's an expert. So this guy thinks he knows it all, is going to come and test King Jesus. So as we look at that answer that Jesus gives, we're going to simply see this. The two greatest commandments to love are explained by Jesus. They, we, we see that they're inseparably linked 
And the third one is the most interesting one to me because I haven't seen really any commentators tie it as tightly as I think it should be. And that is we're going to see these two commandments are connected in the person of Jesus. So three things. I'm going to say it again. Two greatest commandments to love are explained. They're inseparably linked and they're connected in the person of Jesus. Don't worry, I'll explain that third one in a lot better detail. So let's take a look at the first one. The two greatest commandments explained. Without hesitation, hesitation, Jesus answered his, answers their question simply, or his question, simply and profoundly. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which means in Hebrew, to hear. And we know that, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And then what's the command? Every good Jew knew this one by heart. They repeated it. They had these phylactery things. They'd stick on their head and on their wrist. You know how we have those little wristbands, what would Jesus do? Well, they, they did better. They had actual verses stapled, you know, or not stapled, tacked to their head, to their hands, right? And this is what they would, would have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then Jesus says this. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, I want you to see this because this, this really... Uh, this is the first time I saw this in my life, and I've been walking with Jesus since 86. And some of you have been walking with Jesus longer than that. But um, this is what I saw. First of all, Jesus says it's the first greatest commandment. That's, that's the greatest in terms of priority. In other words, God, the love of God comes first. But also, he says it's the greatest, which means it's the heaviest, in the sense of the most important. And of course it is. I always love this prayer that St. Augustine prayed in his confessions. He prays, O Lord, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. And you heard my prayer request either. Um, that's what my brother was referring to, wasn't it? Nothing else in this world is going to satisfy. We're made for God. It tells us in Colossians, we were made by Him. But then there's that next phrase that we don't often memorize. We were made for Him. Did you know Jesus wasn't made for you? And He wasn't made anyway. He always was. But that you were made for Him to bring Him glory, to bring Him joy, to reflect His goodness and love to the rest of creation like a mirror. So, of course, the very first commandment, the greatest commandment, the one that takes priority of all all others, is to love Him. Love the Lord your God. Think about the first four commandments. We talk about the two tables of the law, right? The Ten Commandments. You have one stone table, the other stone stone tablet. The first one has to do with what's required, uh, what's our duty to, to God, right? The first four. You shall have no other gods. That means no, uh, you know, uh, there should be no other thing or person in your life that you worship and adore. God first. You shouldn't make any image. If you really love God, you're not going to make him look like something that's going to minimize who he is because how can you draw a picture of the infinite, almighty, awesome God? And if you love him, you're certainly not going to smear his name. You're not going to use his name in vain. I think about you, our brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes who will use Jesus' name in a, in a way that you're not praising Him. You're not loving Him. Or, or when we, we just live in such a way, people know we're Christians and we dishonor His name. 
If we love God, we're not going to dishonor His name, right? And of course, the last thing in that first tablet is it says to keep the Sabbath holy. If we love God, we are going to come and give Him glory and worship and call upon His name publicly on the day of the Lord, the Lord's day. Worship is a way of saying, God, I love you and I can't wait to go to your house so I could soak up your word, so I could be with other believers, so I could praise your name, so I could take heed. What, what do you have to say to me this week? I want to feast on your word more than my daily bread. It's all an expression of our love for God and our desire to commune with Him and have fellowship with Him. Now, if the first commandment is that we are to love Him more than any other and consider our relationship with Him above all others, then we could think of it this way. I remember my pastor, my first Christian pastor I ever had when I first got saved. He's still the pastor of that same church up about an hour away up the coast, Craig DeBenedictus, Dr. Craig DeBenedictus. But I remember him opening a worship service saying this, we've come here this morning to worship the one true God of heaven and earth. And then I remember him saying this, your spouse is not God. Your kids are not God. Your job is not God. (laughs) He was meddling, wasn't he? But that's exactly what the first commandment is about. It's about loving God first and foremost and having Him very the first in your life. Because here's the point. Why am I belaboring this a little bit? Because in saying this, the Bible and Jesus, God come visit us in the flesh, clearly condemns a mere humanism which uses supposed love for neighbor to trump love for God. Let me give you an example of this so you know, I totally bring it down. You may have something like this go on in your life. I know this is pretty hypothetical, but you, may, you might hear somebody say, well, I don't confess to people that I'm a Christian. And I don't really tell people when they ask me because it embarrasses my wife. My wife you know, gets upset. Now, in such an instance, what trumps what? The love for God is to trump the love, even for your bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh. And just in case you think that's a wrong uh, interpretation, let's just have Jesus' words earlier in Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Then he goes on. He says how we are to love God. It's not enough that he says, uh, love the Lord your God. We got that. But then he, he has to convict us deeper because he says this, with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now commentators get into each of those words and try to debate on what does soul mean, what does heart mean, what does mind mean. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. All that is within you. His point is not for you to go in left field and try to figure out exactly. His point is with all of your being, right? In that sense, with your mind, with your thinking, with your heart, with your emotions, with your will, with everything that is in you, you're to love the Lord your God. Walter Hendrickson puts it this way. I love it. He says, God's wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. God's wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. It's very interesting because I always like to say this. Jesus gave us 
all. And it's reasonable to ask for all back. He laid it all. He didn't leave anything behind. He gave his life. The greatest thing someone could give for someone else. He laid it down. And he says, now love me. It's like in a marriage. I do. Do you? That's the kind of commitment God asks for. He made you. He cares for you. He loves you. That's the heart of all these 613 commandments. The problem with the Pharisees is they got lost in the particulars. And they thought a relationship with God was all about just keeping legal rules. And Jesus says, no, it's more about the whole point of the rules is to show you what it looks like to love God. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But Jesus does something else here. They ask him what's the greatest, and he gives them a bonus, doesn't he? Because he says, not only am I going to tell you what the greatest, but i got to tell you the second greatest because the second greatest one is inseparably linked to the first one. You can't have one without the other. You could distinguish between the two, but you can't have one without the other. And that's what Jesus says in the next thing we see. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus makes it clear that although the command to love God takes precedence over all other loves, love for neighbor is nonetheless inseparably linked to it. That is to say, you can't truly love God and neglect your neighbor. You know, First John talks about how could you say you love God who you don't see when you don't love your neighbor who you do see? It don't make no common sense. That's what Jesus is saying as well. The two are, you can't separate the two. Just as the first table of law dealt with our duty to God, the second table of law is what? Thou shalt not kill. It has to do with our neighbor. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not uh, covet. True love for God will always express itself in love for neighbor. And love for neighbor flows out of the love for God. And look, Jesus quotes right from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some people will say, so the Bible says you have to learn to love yourself before you can love others. (laughs) Oh, that's all kinds of messed up. And I'll tell you why. If that were the truth, then Jesus would say there's three greatest commandments, wouldn't he? He'd say love God, love others, and love yourself. But he doesn't. He says there's two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is doing here, he's not saying you have to learn to love yourself. He's saying, you know that selfish motivation you have every waking moment of your life to take care of yourself? To provide for yourself? To help yourself, I want you to take that normal, natural motivation and I want you to point it toward your neighbor. I want you to treat everybody else the way that you treat yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. Simply means that as a general rule, none of us have to be told to love or care for ourselves. Like Pete says, when he looks in the mirror and he goes, Oh my goodness, he doesn't just walk out of the house. (laughs) then he figures, I got to do something about this. Well, maybe he does. I don't know about him. But with me, I'm like, whoa, we got to do something before I see some people today. Think about it this way. 
Imagine what the church of Jesus Christ would look like if we all actually practiced this. Can you imagine this room if we were all preferring one another above ourselves and putting one another above ourselves and loving each other the exact way we love ourselves? This place would be filled with love, man. This place, you, you wouldn't be able to keep the door shut. And imagine what it would look like in our community if we loved our neighbors like this. Doug O'Donnell writes this. I thought this was a, a, a cool illustration. He says, Years ago, I remember hearing a good Christian speaker, I think it was Rabbi Zacharias, claim that the downward spiral of self-love in the culture and the church was well reflected in the starting publication dates of certain popular magazines. This is funny. First, there was People magazine. Then there was Us magazine. Then there was Self magazine. We've gone from focusing on people to us to self. But of course, the trend of culture is the reverse of the theology of the Bible. The Bible teaches we're to move from self to the church to people. I thought that was a, a very telling illustration. So, so foundational and important are these two commandments that Jesus goes on to say this. This was the most fascinating um, portion of the verse to me of, this, of the passage. Verse 40, Jesus says this, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I thought of two things in my head right away. And then when I studied the Greek, I found out they were actually right. Most of the time when I think of my own illustrations then look at the Greek, I get corrected. This time I was right. Because the word hangs in the Greek, this is going to be crazy, means hangs in English. Same exact meaning. So I thought of a two-pronged hook. You know how you have those hooks where you put your coat on? And that's like the law of love, your, love God, love your neighbor. It's a two, one, one kind of coming from one base, two hooks, so that the whole ball of wax can hang, your whole stack of things. Or I also thought of two hinges. A whole the door has to hang on two hinges. And what Jesus is saying, listen, not only is it the greatest commandment, but the prophets as well. All the commands, all the requirements of the prophets hang on these two. So I'm going to see you one and raise you. Just in case. You didn't ask about the prophets, but I'm throwing that in. Michael Green says this, and now I'm going to get really particular here for a minute. He says, to put God as number one in our lives is what we need to do. With God first and neighbor second, all else in the law is commentary. Listen to that. If you put God first, neighbor second, all rest in the law is simply commentary on those two laws. In other words, if you love God and neighbor, the rest of the commandments simply spell out what that love looks like and helps direct that love. Um, I heard this illustration, and I'm going to use this a little bit and direct it. Some people, somebody um, pointed out that in one of our states, I don't remember where, there's actually laws on the book that you must take care, parents must take care of your children. Now, we laugh because we say, we don't need a law for that. Most normal parents, right, at least try to do their best to take care of their, their kids. We also know this, that we live in a sinful world and that's not always true, right? But I tell you what, even the best parents who do want to love their kids naturally as it were, even their, those parents, such as myself when I was young especially, even us, sometimes we need wisdom from above to know what love for our kid looks like. In other words, when do I show them mercy and intervene? And when do I say, you know what, they're going to have to learn a little lesson here. 
I got to let them experience the consequences of their decisions they keep making. Now, that's a hard choice sometimes, isn't it? And so thankfully, we have the scriptures that teach us in detail, many of these laws, how to love our kids. So for instance, in Proverbs, it says, it talks about why would you spare the rod and destroy your child, basically. Because, again, a natural reaction might be, oh, I love my kid, I wouldn't want to cause them any kind of pain. But the Bible's saying that's sentimentalism. If you love your kid and you don't want to cause them ultimate pain, you will discipline him. You follow what I'm saying? It's the law that informs us what love looks like. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Let's look at, uh, real quick, Leviticus 19.18, again, it's context, or 17 and 18. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but, and that's where the, the command comes from, love your neighbor as yourself. So in other words, love for our neighbor's neighbor is not sentimental. It's not naive. It's not permissive love that so often passes for real love. In other words, a love that says, I have to give in to whatever you ask. Come on. We know this by heart when we think about it. When our kids say, I just want to drink chocolate milk for breakfast. I just want Hershey bars for lunch. And I just want to have uh, tequila for dinner. Now, we wouldn't say, oh, well, we can't say no. That would be mean. No, it's not mean. That's loving to say, no. Don't think so. Nay, nay. And here we see real godly love. Excuse me is a strong, holy, compassionate love that looks after the best interests of others. Isn't that what love is? So the call not to hate your brother in your heart is followed right up with rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you won't share in his guilt. Now listen, here's the difference. As long as that rebuke is coming from the great great commandments, as long as you're doing it because you do love, because you do care, because you do want the best, then that's... That's the right thing to do. Now, of course, the Bible's not saying uh, rebuke your neighbor in the sense of um, take out your vengeance upon your neighbor. Give your neighbor a lashing with your tongue. You follow me? But it is saying sometimes we have to be, thank you very much, we have to be firm with one another. That's how we show love. Now, why do I get into this? I get into this for this reason. Two reasons. First of all, it's the context of the verse that Jesus quotes. Makes sense to figure out what Jesus is talking about. But second of all, listen, this is powerful. You've got to stick with me here. The very next chapter, Jesus is going to use the strongest words we've ever heard him use in rebuking the Pharisees. There's going to be things like he says stuff like, you brood of vipers. You know, you know what I'm talking about? He says stuff like, you know, how will you ever escape the punishment of hell? Would you call that strong language? And what we need to see is this is not at all inconsistent with loving your neighbor. Because Jesus loved the Pharisees. And i got to be honest with you, He loved them way infinitely a lot more than I ever would, apart from His grace. Because I I want them to get what's coming. You know, that's why I watch Clint Eastwood movies and stuff. I want to see, you know, that's me, I'm a little sinful. Probably a lot sinful. But Jesus loved the Pharisees. And so they were not hearing them. They were walking literally over the cliff to hell and he was, his language was meant to shock them. To wake them up out of their spiritual uh, slumber. 
to show them you keep going this way, my friend, you will be lost forever. It's the loving thing to do to call them out on their stubborn sin and unbelief. And on top of that, Jesus had to rebuke them because of all the the sheep that they were leading astray. And I want to come to the last point. Thanks for hanging with me. But this has been feeding my soul this week. I've been meditating on it. And the last thing we're going to see here, not only um, is the greatest, are the greatest commandments explained by Jesus, not only are they inseparably linked by Jesus, but last of all, that's the last thing we're going to look at. They're connected in the person of Jesus. And I'm going to read those last few verses and we're, we're going to um, end on that. We're going to talk about that for a moment and end. Look at verse 41. This is, you know, the whole story. We just read it before. When the Pharisees were gathered together, So in other words, before they left, Jesus says, you know, I've been answering your questions. I got one for you, you experts of the law. We're going to talk about Psalms, and I'm going to ask you a question. Whose son is the Messiah? And of course, they they were orthodox. They had the right answer. Well, of course, he's David's son. And And Jesus says, well, that's interesting. How come then... In this psalm, speaking through the Holy Spirit, David calls the Messiah his Lord. How in the world can he be David's son and David's Lord at the same time? And King Jesus is standing there, the son of David, staring them in the face. And what he meant by that is this. The only answer to that, because it says they could not answer, so no one dared ask them anymore. And and when the Bible says they could not answer, you know what it means here? They would not answer. Because they knew the only answer to that conundrum is David's son also has to be son of God. In other words, not just a man. He has to be more than a man. He has to be God come visit us. And here you had, in the person of Jesus, standing before these religious leaders, God and man in the person of Christ. And what he's confronting them, them, them with is this, and this is what I haven't read in any commentator. I don't like that, and usually it makes me nervous. Like, uh-oh, if I'm the only one coming up with this. They were failing to keep the two greatest laws because they were not loving Jesus. Here Jesus bore with them. Here Jesus did miracles. Here Jesus healed their sick. Here Jesus loved the people of Israel, including them. Even by rebuking them, he's loving them. And yet, They failed miserably to love him. And so we get back to the beginning of this message. What were they going to do with the Christ? Here God, David's son and David's Lord, both God and man, staring them in the face. What were they going to do? We know what they did. They handed him over to be crucified. The question for us this morning is, What will you do with the Christ? What will you do with David's son and David's Lord? Will you bow and receive him as Savior and Lord? Will you be humble and acknowledge your need for him? Or like the Pharisees, are you going to harden your heart and walk away from him? And here's the interesting thing, and I want to close with this for those of us who do know Jesus. So many commentators start getting into the question, well, how can we fulfill these two laws? These two laws are impossible. That's true. But I think the answer, again, is in the person of Jesus. The only way you could possibly even begin to start 
actually obeying these laws is if you come to receive Jesus and He lives in your heart and enables you to love God and love your neighbor. I'm going to give you one verse and we're going to pray and close. It's um, found in 2 um, Corinthians 2.15. Listen to this. And He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. How can you live for others? How can you live for God? Only if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You know Him personally. His Spirit flows through you. And now you no longer live for yourself. Right? But you live for Him. And when you live for Him, He calls you to love others. I pray that you've done that. You've received King Jesus. If you haven't, I would say don't wait anymore. Don't even wait a minute. When we pray right now, turn to Him in faith. And if you do know Him, then I I admonish you and I encourage you to run to Him even this day. Oh God, acknowledging I have not loved you and I have not loved my neighbor as I ought. Oh Holy Spirit, teach me, show me, help me. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You for these words of our Lord and Savior. David's Son and David's Lord, Son of God and Son of Man, in one beautiful, awesome, loving, holy person. Jesus, we acknowledge You as our King. We admit that we do not love You as we ought with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are often divided in our devotion. And we acknowledge that we do not love our neighbor the way we care and love for ourselves. And Because of that, Lord, we fall at your feet. And we ask you to work in us what we cannot work in ourselves. And we pray that New City Fellowship, Lord, more and more would reflect the two greatest commandments. And that we wouldn't lose our way in dealing with all the particulars that we would forget the main thing. And God, we pray that somehow we would be enabled to show our neighbors that love that comes from above. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.